listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, it's great to be with you today. My name's Mark, if I haven't met you. We're in the midst of a series called Come Back Stronger. We're going to open the scriptures and we're going to look at a particular passage today that we find in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning at verse 1. And this passage is the story of the ascension. And this week in the church calendar, uh, we celebrated Ascension Day, and so we're going to be looking at that today. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, feel free to open them, and we're going to read now. This is Luke who is writing um, his accounts of Jesus' ministry and the beginnings of the church. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, in the midst of this time, may your word speak to us. May it show us deeper wisdom. May it show us your truth. May it shape us, encourage us, edify us. Lead us forward to where you want us to go. In your name. Amen. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's a novel that I picked up, uh, in a sense, to give myself a little escape from hearing about COVID-19 everywhere. Um, As a leader of a church at the moment, you constantly have to think about it. And as humans, we're all faced with this, wherever you are in the world at the moment. But as so often happens, the escape read that you pick up ends up speaking into your current situation. The book I'm reading is a novel by the American author Dom DeLillo, and it's called White Noise. I think you've read it like 1983, 1984. 
And it tells the story of a college professor who is an expert in mid-century German uh, history. And the beginning of the story is him going about his life and the different professional and personal challenges he has. But then the book takes this sudden turn, just as you've gotten used to the rhythms of this man's life. His attention is drawn to something that his son is seeing on the horizon that he's looking at with his binoculars, something happening just in their town in the rail yards. As a giant cloud begins to grow, this black smoke, the sun is listening to the radio and begins to pick up that the news is reporting that this is what is known as a toxic airborne event. A train carrying a dangerous chemical has overturned and now the chemical is escaping. The son continually asks his father, are we going to be okay? And the dad keeps replying, we're absolutely safe here. The son asks the father, why? What if the wind changes and the cloud drifts towards us? And the dad simply keeps replying, it's not going to happen. The son asks again, well, why not? Why won't the wind change? And the dad reveals that he says, things like that don't happen to people like us. Disasters like that happen to people on television. We see these things in India or Pakistan. They don't happen to people like college professors in middle-class suburbs. And as I read my so-supposed escape uh, book from COVID-19, I realized that actually there was something that I now recognize, that sense of denial when the pandemic happened, that this wasn't going to come towards us, that this wasn't going to really change things. And I remember those weeks early on when we had to make that very quick decision to go online as a church. There was this sense of strange denialism in the air as almost the reality of what was happening we struggled to catch up with because there was part of us which believed stuff like this didn't happen to people like us. The family ignore what the radio is saying and attempt to go on with their normal day. The mother sets the table, the family eats, and they're sitting down to have their dinner despite the radio telling them what is happening and this disaster that could come in their direction. When all of a sudden their dinner is interrupted by police sirens as the town fire chief is driving up and down the road with a loud hailer telling everyone to evacuate immediately. And it's at this point that the family realizes that this is real. They jump in their car and finally they then get in this incredible convoy of people escaping the city to this scout camping ground, which is their escape point. Upon reaching there, they realize that they now are somewhere safe and begin to settle into the new reality, camping with all of their fellow townspeople, but now no longer in their town. And what's interesting, there's almost this second moment that happens at this time. As they settle into this moment of safety, this new kind of denialism kicks in. Rumors begin to spread. Disinformation begins to seep into the community. And there's almost this sense that what has happened is going to be over very quickly. That what has happened is just a little blip. And the full ramifications that actually this cloud could again come towards them. What's happening to these people is that initially when they saw this cloud on the horizon, they actually thought it was just simply an event. 
They listen to it on the news. Every day in the news, we're exposed to events that come before us. And we can see an event, we watch it on the news, we're used to seeing footage, and we process an event, maybe talk about it with our friends, and then move on. But what the people in White Noise, the novel, are caught up in is actually not an event, it's a process. And when COVID-19 came across our, our, our radar as an event that was happening in Wuhan, China, it seemed like one of those news events. Just before then, we had the killing of Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general. Just before then, we had the British election. All these different events that we watch in the news cycle. But we didn't realize that we're actually being swept up into a process. And I believe there's this sense at the moment where as things are opening up a little bit, we can almost be like the family in the campsite. Things are going to snap back quickly and return. And there is an element where things are opening up a little bit. But it's also worth noting that we're still in the midst of the process. And as a church, as we're prayed into this, as the intercessors have said in words, as we met as a staff team on Zoom this week, all of us had the sense that this is a process that will go for a period. And in the midst of this process, God is also inviting us into another process where he wants to deposit deep things. And in the story of the incarnation, we see something similar happening. Jesus comes to earth. He comes from heaven and shows his love by coming amongst us. Now, we often think about the incarnation and celebrate it at Christmas time, seeing that as an event. We also celebrate Easter when Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death on the cross, and we celebrate that as an event. And then the next event we tend to look for on the church calendar is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers God's people. But all of these things constitute the incarnation of Jesus, the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus, and then Pentecost. All of them constitute this process. And we are invited into this process with Jesus. And it has something to tell us. An event, in a sense, we can control how we react to it. But a process envelops us. It reveals things to us. It requires a patience as it plays its story out. So before us are two processes. We are in the midst of a COVID-19 global pandemic, which is a process. Because our training as Western people is to have not much, you know, not much patience. We're not good at delaying gratification. We're used to a constantly changing news cycle. We're not great at living through processes and being patient. And as Christians, we can also be event-based people, not realizing that we're not in control. God is in control and he's inviting us into a process of growing closer to him. So to understand this process, often churches jump from the empty tomb to that moment when the Holy Spirit falls. But we miss out on the moment of the ascension, perhaps because the ascension, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and is raised up, seems so strange and unusual. So there's something to grasp when we understand there is a process of salvation that Jesus is inviting us into when we read the Gospels and read the stories that we find in Acts. So what does the ascension reveal to us? I believe at this time, in the midst of a crisis, 
that we can see that Christ comes to us and we grasp a key understanding of who he is when we understand the ascension. So I just wanted to give a few key things that the ascension tells us. The first one is that the ascension reveals to us Jesus' full identity. The ascension reveals to us Jesus' full identity. As Jesus is taken up into the clouds, into that heavenly space, the disciples see Jesus as he's revealed in his full glory and majesty. The disciples who were not there, they'd scarpered. They had nicked off at the moment that was key when Jesus was on the cross. Why? Because they were looking with earthly eyes. They just saw a moment of shame, of defeat, as Jesus hung on the cross of horror. But what they could not see is the heavenly reality. In one way, what the disciples see at the ascension of Jesus is Jesus being lifted up. He who has suffered and gone through the gates of death, who has defeated death, is now being held up in this heavenly glory that earthly eyes could not see upon the cross. This is Jesus' coronation into glory. And the disciples had to let him go into that glory. In a sense, they're saying goodbye, but they had to let him go in that glory to actually receive him back. By farewelling him at the ascension, they then welcome him back into every place, every space and all time. Anthony J. Kelly says this in his book about the ascension upward. The ascension means, therefore, that in rising from the dead, Jesus is not reinserted into the fabric of the world that crucified him, subject to its desires, expectations, plans, and control. He has ascended to that realm in which the Father's will is accomplished and the kingdom of God is already realized. We see Jesus as he really is, glorious, majestic, above all. We see what Jesus did on the cross in the ascension. And at a moment like this, in the midst of a crisis, we need to see the Christ that comes in the crisis, glorious and radiant above all at this moment. The second thing that the ascension teaches us is that it reveals Jesus' mission. The ascension reveals Jesus' mission. Ephesians 10 Verses, uh, sorry, Ephesians 1, verses 20 says this. He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In a moment like this, where we're caught in a process, where we feel like we've lost control, where we don't know what the future holds, where we see this moment where life is paused. We can't plan. We can't control things. The ascension tells us that Jesus remains in control. We can understand why Jesus in his earthly ministry in John 16, 33 said, In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. N.T. Wright says it this way. 
The early Christians, like their Jewish contemporaries, saw heaven and earth as the overlapping and interlocking spheres of God's good creation. With the point being that heaven is the control room from which earth is run. To say that Jesus is now in heaven is to say three things. Firstly, that he's present with his people everywhere, no longer confined to one space-time location within earth, but certainly not absent. Second, that he is now the managing director of this strange show called earth. Though like many incoming chief executives, he has quite a lot to do to sort it out and turn it around. And third, that he will one day bring heaven and earth together as one, therefore Sorry, becoming therefore personally present to us, sorry, to us once more within God's new creation. Now, this tells us that the seat at the right hand of the Father isn't an actual seat per se, but it's an actual role. This is like when we say the seat of authority. And the risen Christ is now exercising that role. He's exercising his power everywhere in the midst of this strange show called earth, as N.T. Wright calls it. And this really strange moment in the midst of this strange place called earth, Jesus is moving history towards his ends. Jesus has a mission of salvation that he is engaged in. We need to grasp onto the fact that at this moment, Jesus is in the control room of the universe and he is moving this story to its resolution. The third thing is that Jesus in ascending reveals our full identity. As Jesus is ascended, something is revealed about us. The incarnation, Jesus' time on earth, His ministry showed us his great love for us to come down from heaven, to be fully God and fully human, to walk amongst people, to show mercy to the woman caught in adultery, to spend time with lepers and the blind. The human touch that we see in Jesus' earthly ministry tells us something essential about his love for us as he descended from heaven. But now he goes ahead. The process of salvation continues to unravel for the disciples as they see this. They knew Jesus from that incarnation moment, but now they go ahead. So Jesus goes ahead. Jesus had said to Mary upon his resurrection in John 20, 17, Mary, don't cling to me. You see, we wish to keep Jesus at our level. Albert Camus, who a lot of people are reading at the moment, his famous book, The Plague, which talks about a pandemic, wrote another book called The Rebel. And he summed up the modern age and the, in a sense, the, the attitude of the modern age in this way. He said, the attitude of the modern person is that they want to talk to God as man to man. We want to bring Jesus to our level. And there's a sense that the disciples wanted Jesus to stay there with them, to keep loving them in that very physical, present way, to actually stay in that place. I once heard this explained that, in some sense, what that moment must have been like was for someone who had been lost at sea, floundering in the water. All of a sudden, a boat finds them and they hang on to the side of the boat. But when Jesus says, Mary, don't cling to me, 
When Jesus ascends from the disciples, what he's saying is there's a place which is not just hanging over the side of the boat in the water. You're not going to drown, but also you're soaking wet and freezing and eventually you get hypothermia. There's something else and that's to get into the boat. And so Jesus goes ahead of us. So they've got a little slide here which explains this. And we see how the cross has these two directions. There is the horizontal element of the cross which actually shows us that the incarnation, God is with us. He is with you. He loves you. He descended from heaven. And we saw God in human form loving people in his earthly ministry. But now in the ascension, we see that vertical element that God is now going ahead of us. He doesn't want us just hanging over the side of the boat. Yes, saved from destruction, but soaked and freezing. There is something better he has for us. Ephesians 2 verses 6 to 7 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ raised you up to sit with him in that heavenly place. This is who you really are. The wrong ways that you see yourself, your struggle with self-esteem, The shame that Sarah spoke about last week, those moments of self-hatred, what others think of you, the labels that have been put on you and constricted you, none of them matter compared to this truth. That Christ, what the ascension tells us, has raised you up. He now goes ahead, showing us the direction that we will go ahead with him. If you have decided to follow Jesus Your identity is totally different than probably what you think it is. Your destiny is different than what you think it is. Your destiny and your identity is to reign with Jesus, remade, renewed, saved and ruling with him. Wayne Grudem says this, Jesus was a man like us in every way, yet without sin. And he has gone before us so that eventually we might follow him there and live with him forever. Because of our union with Christ in his ascension, we're able to share now in part in Christ's authority over the universe and we will later share it in it more fully. If you've decided to follow Jesus with your life, if you have been won by Christ, you sit with him in the heavenly places. This is who you really are. So many of your struggles are actually a struggle against this truth. But what the ascension tells us is to embrace your God-given identity, to live it, to praise God for it, to let it define you. And if you're watching this, and this is new to you, if you jumped on a live stream in this moment of struggle, if perhaps if you've come back to church trying to get your head around it again, that invitation is before you now to bend your knee to Jesus, to simply say, Jesus, I am sorry for all the sin I have done, the ways I've let you down, that I've fallen short of the mark, the wrong that I have done. Take that burden from me. And to say, please, Jesus, pick me up. I now want to follow you with all my heart. The gospel is so simple, but the rewards are so majestic and manifold to reign with God in his heaven and no pandemic can touch that reality. The last thing 
that the ascension tells us is that the ascension, just as it reveals God's mission, it reveals our mission. John Stott says this of that moment where the disciples are still looking upwards and the angels say to them, hang on, get your heads right. That's my paraphrase. John Stott says this, there was something fundamentally anomalous, anomalous about their gazing up into the sky when they'd been commissioned to go to the ends of the earth. It was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in compassion to a lost world. Sorry, was the, the, the vision, I think I've written this wrong. The vision that they were to cultivate was not upwards. Rather, it was in compassion to a lost world which needed them. Heaven was coming down. They didn't need to look up for heaven. Jesus ascending meant that heaven was coming down. And so not only did they have a new identity, they had a new destiny and therefore they had a new mission. And just as Jesus had gone into God's presence, he is then taking God's presence to the ends of the world. That is our role, to be carriers of God's presence, to be carriers of his good news, that humanity does not need to live in fear of death, under the burden of sin, that actually humanity has this destiny in God. And we're called to share that message. And at this moment of COVID-19, when all of a sudden that great wall of secularism, where society seemed to promise us a potential of a life without God, endless comfort, endless freedom, overflowing tanks of opportunity, and all of a sudden people have been shook. The biggest countries in the world, the superpowers, are struggling with simply a microbe that's come out of Wuhan. The powers are not looking so strong afterwards, after all. Before us is an incredible evangelistic opportunity that we must step into. Yes, we are restricted with who we can see, where we can go. But at this moment, there are people seeking God and the Holy Spirit is drawing people in a way I have not seen in my entire lifetime. There are friends around you, people you can send a message to, people you can connect with who need to hear the message of Jesus, who are shook in their foundations. The ascension tells us that we actually have a mission and that we find meaning in that mission. The virus before the virus is that we were told by our culture that you could have a life of meaning and, and, and excitement and wonder without any grand purpose. You have a role. You have a commission. You are to rule with Christ and Christ is going to the ends of the earth with his message. And he's inviting us to join with him in that as heaven breaks out into earth. You were made for this. We, the church, was made for this. At this moment when we can't meet in services, and to be honest, I don't know when we can meet again, and whether that's six months, a year, three years, whatever it may be, we cannot forget that we're still called to be the church. God is triumphant. Christ is above all. We have an incredible missional opportunity before us. Let's not let the moment go to waste. I want to read on. As we end, as the passage in Acts continues, in Acts 1, the last bit, in verse 12, it goes on. Then the apostles, after Jesus has ascended, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. 
Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. A small group of people constrained in a room. They've got no power. They've got very little resources. They're stuck in this room in the midst of a process. But my goodness, what a process, a process of salvation. And so we're now in this moment as we retrace this story, as we've walked through Lent, as we've walked through Good Friday, the joy of Resurrection Sunday, as over the last few weeks as this pandemic has gone across the world, we've walked through that moment where the resurrected Jesus was walking the earth and doing these very personal works with people. And there are personal works happening now with many of you. And then this ascension when we realize who Jesus really is, the incarnation and the ascension, the horizontal and the vertical. And so the people pray and they prepare and wait for what is to come next when the Holy Spirit brings heaven down and these people are fully transformed and become not just disciples, but sent ones, apostles to the ends of the world. So let's prepare and pray. This week, I want to encourage you that I believe this Pentecost, God wants to equip his church in a profound way. I watched this week, there was the UK blessing video, which many of you saw where the churches in the UK got together and you know, churches all across the UK sang this one song, The Blessing. This week, I've watched The Blessing Canada and seen friends I know in Canada and churches all across the provinces of Canada. I watched this week the Malaysia blessing as the different groups and, and areas and, and ethnicities of Malaysia came together, the church united. I watched the Latin America Spanish version of the benediction with people from Guatemala to Buenos Aires. And as I spent about half an hour watching these, I just marveled that there's never been a moment like this. In this profound moment, Pentecost, this releasing of God's power to his people in these rooms, we need church to prepare our hearts to pray for God's power to come in a profound way like we've never seen before. This week, we're going to have thin places on Tuesday at 7.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. I encourage you to join and pray. This week, let's be a people set apart as the disciples for those 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost prepared themselves for the coming of the Spirit. So let's do that now in preparation. As we do at the end of every service, let's pray the great prayer, come Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, whether you're watching this alone, with a handful of people, whether you've got a phone in your hand, a laptop or a smart TV, whether you're watching this now or in a few hours' time, let's step into a posture of receptiveness. Say, come Holy Spirit. Fill us. 
Let us see the majesty and glory and perfection and love and justice and righteousness of Jesus ascended at the right hand of the Father in control room of the universe, moving history towards his ends with a mission of salvation. Father, we want to be your people. In this unprecedented time, in the midst of this process, we don't want to enter into a kind of unreal denialism that this isn't happening, that this is all just going to go away in two weeks. Father, Spirit, impart, take us deeper, empower us for the mission you have before us. I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that there there are people out there you're drawing to you as believers watching this. Divinely deposit in our hearts people who we need to have a conversation with. To share your good news, our testimony of what you've done in our lives in simple yet powerful ways. Father, if there's people watching this who've joined us, help them to make that step. To say sorry to ask forgiveness for all that they've done and to give their lives fully to you. And Spirit, in this week, just as Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, blew his breath into the disciples, giving them the Spirit, which was a taste of what was to come at Pentecost, may you now fill us. May we receive your Spirit, your love, your empowering, your insight, your wisdom, your knowledge. May the Spirit of Jesus fill us and make us anew. Amen.